glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me if you would then, please. Second John verse 12. Uh, John says this, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Now, if you would, just turn the page there. Go to 3 John, verse 13. We'll actually read verses 13 and 14 here. That I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. Thank you. You may be seated. In both of these texts, the penman, John, has written briefly. Uh, you can see, and we went through these just recently as, as uh, in our study on Thursday nights, went through first and second and third John and then Jude. And in going through this, you understand how brief these little books are. And what John says to these he's writing to in, in uh, second John, he refers to the elect lady. personally believe that was a church referred to there, that's my personal thinking, but whether it be a, a literal, just a, fig, a woman, or if it's speaking figuratively of the church, we do know he's writing to believers, fellow believers, and giving them some instruction, as we saw when we went through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, to guard against false teachers and, and what would seem to be Gnosticism, this claim of a higher knowledge and all that. But he says then, there's many things I want to say to you, and I, I would write to you, but I'm not going to write to you with paper and ink. Rather, what I'm going to say, I'm going to come and say face to face. And then he says that our joy may be full. There was a certain level of joy that could only be had to the Apostle John by meeting in person with these who he would call children in the faith. My little children, if I'm not mistaken, in Third John, he had no greater joy than to hear those children walk in truth. And So these are people that he is influencing for the Lord, leading to serve the Lord. And what he says is, I could commun- communicate to you without a face-to-face meeting, but it's necessary for me to communicate to you in person or face-to-face that our joy may be full, meaning there's some things I need to see and communicate to you in person so that I have fullness of joy in those that are serving with me. Same thing in Third John, I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee and we shall speak face-to-face. Now, that's not a belittling of the written word. That's not what John's doing. What it tells us, though, is that the written word instructs us uh, that there are certain things that can only be handled and can only be uh, can only be accomplished in person, uh, not forsaking. Hebrews ten twenty five says the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more to see the day approaching. Some will refer to, and I'm not being, I'm not trying to be cute, or we appreciate the ability if you're sick or you can't for some reason we're physically hindered and you want to be able to take in some Bible preaching or whatever it may be, thank God for uh, online preaching, podcasts, all those things. We're doing some of that tonight. But I think we're grateful for that. But there is no such thing as online church. We understand that. Because church is assembly, which requires this face-to-face kind of meeting. Uh, when we all assemble together as God's people, as a, a local body, we would that's that's church. It's assembly. There are times we need to meet face-to-face, maybe just a couple of individuals. We'll see that in the Bible. But the point would be there are some things among Christians that requires personal interaction between ourselves 
face to face. How many of you have ever found yourself tempted when you should pick up the phone and make a phone call so someone can hear your voice and you know it's easier to shoot a text than make a phone call? Now, if it's easier to shoot a text than make a phone call, it's even easier to shoot a text or a phone call than sit down and have an in-person conversation. See, when we have an in-person conversation, we can watch one another and we can see how the other person's reacting. I'll say this. I believe there's value tonight in you seeing my face as I preach God's word to you, as I teach God's word to you. There's value in me seeing your face. There's value. You know what? Remember what Jeremiah the prophet had to be told? He was to preach the word and fear not their faces. There is value, and if there weren't, God would not have so commended it in face-to-face interaction. I'll give you three things tonight, and we're going to use a number of verses that deal with either the very phrase face-to-face or the commendation of seeing someone's face, meaning looking on you in person. We're in a, we're in a world anymore that has become so virtual that I, I do believe this, and this is not a rip. It's so easy to rip on the next generation. I don't want to do that, but I think we have to be honest about some of the trends we see and that when these trends start getting into God's people and start affecting the way we relate to each other, then these things have to be dealt with. We're in a world that would far rather not have personal interaction. Let's just, let's just as much as we can send a text, an email, communicate on Facebook or whatever the social media account may be, let's do it that way rather than have to go through the trouble of a personal interaction. And yet God has put some priority on this matter of face-to-face meetings. Our first point I want you to see tonight, we'll get right into this, is the priority, the priority from Scripture of meeting face-to-face. And again, whether we're dealing with the whole church assembling or if it's a couple of people sitting down to resolve a problem, God puts an emphasis on this more than once. Tonight's message is very practical. This isn't fiery. It's not revival. This is just some practical instruction from God's Word that will help us get our mentality correct about uh, the way we need to think about interacting with one another. Uh, and so then the priority of meeting face-to-face. For, for note's sake, if you're keeping notes, we'll be referencing some of these scriptures. The term face-to-face, of course, is used here in Second John and in Third John. The concept is referred to in 1 Thessalonians 2.17. We'll reference that verse and read it here in a little bit where Paul talks about he would come to them and see their face. It's referenced in 1, John, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. So in 1 Thessalonians 2.17, 1 Thessalonians 3.10. And then in Galatians 2.11, one of those more well-known texts, Paul says of Peter, I withstood him to the face. What do we call it when we speak sharply to the point of cutting someone when we don't see their face? That's called backbiting. <laughs> backbiting, meaning I'm going to make sure your face is nowhere around before I say this about you. And God never, he has nothing ever good to say about that. And uh, may I just say this, and, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there is such a tremendous value. How many of us understand it is so much easier to sit with your keyboard and your tablet or your computer or your phone and say something that's just brazen on social media because nobody's looking back at you. And if you don't like what they say, delete it. You know, it's, it's a lot different to look at someone and say, now I need to say something to you now, and you know they're going to respond immediately to your face. And we need to understand this is something God puts a great priority. And when you, when you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, whether dealing with friend or foe, he didn't preach about the Pharisees. He preached to them. 
to their face. He didn't preach about Peter. He spoke directly to him. And as Christians, this is something we need to understand, needs to be part of our lives. So the priority of meeting face-to-face. Number one, face-to-face meeting is a priority because God commands it. It is actually commanded by our Savior that we interact in person. Uh, One of the things, we'll go back to the pandemic. This is not a message about the pandemic. But when it began, and we did not know just exactly how to handle church, we did not want to spread a disease that was going to kill people. I think that's appropriate. So for us, for the first month of March and part of April, uh, you'll remember we met out here. But one of the things the Lord dealt with my heart about was we cannot go to a completely virtual setting because we have to assemble meaning we all have to come to the same place at the same time and see one another, or it's not assembly. How many of us can understand why it would be tempting to say, well, let's just stay home and do it all virtually? Well, you can stay in your pajamas and sit on your couch, and it costs you a whole lot less to be part of church than it would by actually assembling. So one of the, things, one of the reasons we went ahead, even though I, I believed it was prudent to not actually be interacting close with each other until we figured out what was going on and whether or not we were spreading a deadly disease, uh, we, we still assembled that we might actually assemble. Because Hebrews 10, again, let's look at this very well-known text. A lot of folks today resent this text and dismiss it, but it's still the instruction of God's Word for His people. Well, and here's the trend that we see among church today. The trend we see is assemble less. Assemble less. Um, so there was a time when it was commonplace, commonplace for any truly Christian church to assemble at least three times in the week. Whether it would be all day on Sunday or a couple of different times on a Sunday because that's the Lord's day. And then again in the middle of the week for prayer meeting or some kind of assembly. Some churches would assemble more than that. But what it was it was commonplace not so long ago for churches to regularly and faithfully assemble themselves together and even if the whole church wasn't assembled was not uncommon for multiple families in that church to get together to fellowship and commune with each other to strengthen one another and as time has progressed in our country and people have gotten busy we have more important things to do such as watching sports or playing sports or taking part in community programs or working more hours to make more money assembly has taken the back burner But the instruction of God's word is actually the opposite. We're not to assemble less and less, but more and more. Something that's become trendy in independent Baptist churches, and I'm not, I want to be careful I say this because I believe every church under God has to make this decision. Under the leadership of their pastor and those that are making those decisions, they have to make this decision. But one of the things we see becoming common is we don't want to have a teaching hour. A lot of people don't show up. We're going to cut Sunday school out. And there's nowhere, nowhere in the Bible commands Sunday school. I get that. I understand that. But it does command teaching and preaching. There's value in it. So then they cut that out. Next thing you know, they say, well, Sunday night service is not well attended. So what we're going to do is we're going to blend. We're going to have a Sunday morning service, dinner on the grounds, and a really quick service maybe in the afternoon and go home. So the folks can have family time. And I see that as a trend across the nation, and I'm not preaching that that is entirely sin, so don't misunderstand me. But there's a trend leading us away from assembling more to assembling less. And I understand there's parts of the world where assembling looks different than it does here. I get that. But I also understand 
There are parts of the world where people are walking two hours to go to church. The Bible, my mom mailed, uh, my parents mailed a couple Bibles to Edna in Kenya. She worked, walked what was the equivalent of 30 miles in one day to get two Bibles from the post office. 30 miles. Just to get her Bibles. Uh, there are people that will walk hours to assemble with the brethren. My point is this, in Hebrews 10, God says as the day approaches, the day of the Lord's return, meeting with God's people should have more importance and should be done more, not less. It was not uncommon years ago for a revival meeting to be held for two to three weeks without ending. Difficult to get people to come to revival meeting more than three or four days these times we live in. I praise God for this church. There's a number of you. If we have a meeting, you're here, and I'm thankful for that. But there was not uncommon. I'm just being practical. Can you think of anything that intruded in our culture that maybe, maybe robbed people of even the desire to assemble? I know what's happened in third world countries. Before the television showed up, before on-demand entertainment, whether on the screen, on the tablet, phone, or television... People were willing to go to church because they weren't so busy with other things, right? And and so this has happened in our culture where it, we feel that assembling is an intrusion on the life of the believer when God commands it. So I, what I want to see is that whether it is the assembly of the church or, again, if it is a face-to-face meeting with a brother that we have a difficulty with, God commands in-person assembling of ourselves. So if you're there in Hebrews 10, uh, verse uh, 22, the Bible says, Let us draw near with a heart, uh, true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And here's the phrase I want to see. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Uh, there are those today we meet. We meet folks out and about as we knock on doors and say, are you saved? Yes, I'm saved. You've been born again? Yes. And they give a clear testimony of salvation. Are you in church? No. Well, why not? And the, the answers vary. Sometimes they just say, ah, I just, I've just gotten out of the habit. I've gotten busy and this and that, out of church. May I say this? God, God says here, not forsaking the assembling. Now, the word face is not used there, but the context says we're to get together in person. Look at Matthew chapter 18. Now, this is a different context. This is not necessarily calling for a full assembly of the church here, but it is calling for a face-to-face meeting. When we have a conflict with each other, When someone has done something to irritate us, frustrate us, or offend us, you tell me. I know me, and so I'm assuming I I know you to some degree. What is the first thing we want to do? So let's say Vienna there, she, she, she said something today, and boy, it just really hurt my feelings. She talked about how ugly my tie is and how she doesn't like the kind of car I drive. I thought, well, and boy, it just hurt my feelings. And so... First thing I do is I say, Dawson, I want you to know, being over, she's got some problems. I don't know what's going on with her, but she's she's got some problems. But I'm going to make sure Vienna can't hear me because you need to know what I know, that she doesn't need to be trusted or liked or anything else because she offended me. 
Now, I'm giving kind of a silly illustration. But here's what happens. How many of us know that people do things that cause difficulty for other people? And in the church setting, there's no exemption to that. Just like in our family, there are times my wife's going to say something that's going to rub me the wrong way. I'm going to say something that's going to rub her the wrong way. And I've got to make a decision at that time. Is this something worth me even getting upset about? Am I upset because I'm being proud and selfish and arrogant? Am I upset because she said something wrong? I've got to decide what to do with what she said or did that displeased me. The Bible says this, if it's actually a trespass, if a brother actually do something to us that's wrong, and we know it's wrong, so not, not you don't like my tie. If you don't like my tie, that's fine. I don't care. You don't like my vehicle. I don't care about that either. Sometimes I don't like it, so that's okay. We're not talking about that. But if you actually do something wrong to someone, then we are prone to just go tell someone else of the wrong that was done. We are prone to carry that wrong until it finally golds us and we just decide never to be around it. You know how many people have quit church because they can't stand to be around so-and-so? And so instead of resolving that, they just kind of fade away. They either go to another church or quit going to church. And God's instruction is, no, you need a face-to-face meeting. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go to him, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word shall be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and the publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, so on and so forth. What's called for here is you go to him, literally go to him, tell him. Now, man, something. I understand, and I'm going to be a little finicky here. I understand you could do that over the phone, but you realize that's not what he said to do. He didn't say write him a letter. Now, I know in those days they didn't have phones, but you could write a letter. But God didn't say write a letter. You go to him. Now, if you've ever had to do this, you know the value in this. Before I'm going to go and tell you your fault, I'm going to start thinking, how are they going to respond? Oh, they might bring up my fault for them. Maybe I don't want to go to them. Uh, my dad and I were talking about this some years ago, and I've, I'm sure I've shared this with you. But you see, you know one of the reasons we don't want to go and address someone's wrongdoing with us is we know that when we do, they're going to bring up ours. And so it's easier just to let it go. It's easier, rather than deal with that the way God says, it's easier to just do something else. But the point I want to make tonight is in both these instances, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That means getting together where you can see each other's faces. If your brother trespass against thee, go to him and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. God says you, you need an in-person meeting to address that. And if he won't hear you, one or two more. And this is not a message about discipline or even really about assembly, but the value of, of taking the time and making the investment in each other's life to have face-to-face, whether it be assembly of the whole church or one-on-one meeting. You and I both know it takes more love more investment for the in-person contact than it does any other. John says, there's some things I could write you, but I'm going to actually come to you and say them in person, face to face. And so then the priority, it's commanded by our Savior that we have face-to-face assembly, that we have face-to-face one-on-one when it's necessary, and so it's commanded by the Savior. Number two, Things can be measured by how valuable they are, by how much they are opposed. Look with you, if you would now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
One of the reasons we know our Bible is valuable to God is by how Satan opposes it. Would you agree? Well, look at what 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 says. And Paul ministering to multiple churches. We would understand that after Paul planted churches, he took on their care and their oversight. So many of those churches didn't get to see him in person very often. Some that he ministered to never had the opportunity to meet Paul in person because of his busy schedule serving the Lord, his busy schedule in his prison ministry. Uh, He sometimes couldn't get loose or freed up for in-person ministry because he was literally bound. But he says this in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 17. He says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. He said, I was trying desperately to get together and see your face. I wanted to be with you in person. Then he says, verse 18, Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but who hindered him? Satan hindered us. Meaning, I was endeavoring to come see you in person, and Satan put up roadblocks and hindered me from coming. You know what Paul's saying? So as a second resort, I'm going to write to you. I have tried repeatedly to come to you in person and to minister to you in person, and Satan got in the way. Whatever Satan hinders must be valuable. We'll say that as a secondary note, but first of all, Christ commands uh, assembly. He commands in-person interaction with each other when we have problems with each other. It is combated by the devil. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 and 18. And then repeatedly it is commended by faithful saints. John commends the face-to-face meeting. Matthew in the Gospel of Matthew through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit commends it. Uh, the author of Hebrews commends it in Hebrews 10, 25. 1 John, uh, 2 John 12 and 3 John 13 and 14 commends again. you got the Apostle John, the Apostle Paul, the penman of Hebrews, and Matthew, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, all commending this face-to-face interaction. So the command of the Savior, the combating of the devil, and the commendation of face-to-face interaction meeting by the faithful saints and servants of God tells me this is a priority. We ought to make it a priority and, uh, and understand the distinctions and, and, and give ourselves to it. Number one, the priority of meeting face-to-face. Number two, the purpose. In these verses, we can find why, why we need face-to-face meeting. Number one, in so doing, we have the ability to acknowledge brethren. We have the opportunity to say, this is a brother. Look what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1. And this is a lesser point, but Galatians chapter 1. By acknowledge, I mean we're able to identify a brother and know them, not only by hearing of them, but in person. Galatians chapter 1. Paul is giving a timeline of his ministry, and he says, verse 19, But other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, before, uh, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. It's not a counterpoint, but the point was he said there were some people never got to meet me in person or face to face. I'll say if you go back and and review the life of the Apostle Paul, after he got saved in Damascus, Barnabas grabs him, brings him to Jerusalem, and commends him to the brethren. And all I would say is this, the face-to-face meeting gives an opportunity to meet and know more personally brethren. That's, again, a lesser point. But letter B, 1 Thessalonians 3.10, if you would. Face-to-face interaction gives spiritual leadership the opportunity to assess spiritual progress among the people they're serving. 
1 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. There's a command. I believe it's Proverbs 27, I think 25, Proverbs 27, 23. says, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. Now, I understand the flock of God's people doesn't belong to me, but is entrusted to my spiritual oversight as a pastor. And one of the things that's helpful in assessing people spiritually is seeing them, meeting them. I mean, I know sometimes if you're a parent or you may be uh, in a place of being in charge in, in some level of employment, someone you're caring for, your wife, your husband, someone that you love and care for, and you, you, the moment you see them, you say, what's wrong? Because you're able to see their countenance. There's value in the ability to assess the spiritual state of a church, the spiritual state of those that are under our care. Look what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 3. Uh, verse 9, For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face. Notice what he says, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now, God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. The idea would be, says, there's some things lacking in your face, and I want to be able to come and interact with you and see you face to face that we might minister to you and perfect what's lacking in your faith. We'll get to that part in just a moment. But the idea was Paul felt a, necess- a necessity to meet with the Thessalonians face to face. That's why he ended up sending Timothy to check on them. Timothy was commissioned by Paul because the Thessalonians had believed and immediately came under severe persecution. And Paul says, I need some eyes on them to see how they're doing. It wasn't enough to get distant reports of the Thessalonians. He said, I, and so Paul had endeavored to go once and again. Satan had hindered him. But ultimately, you, you'll read in the context of Scripture that Timothy goes and brings back a report that not only were they strong in their faith, they were very strong in their faith, but the point was he needed an in-person assessment of their spiritual state. And it, just, it, it cannot be replaced. And so then it gives the opportunity to acknowledge brethren, to identify and acknowledge those who are brethren. Number two, to assess the spiritual condition by those that are, that are commissioned with their spiritual care. Letter C, the purpose is in the admonition. Not only admonition from the pulpit or from the, those in oversight, but admonition one from another. Remember the purpose in Hebrews 10.25? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another meaning using the Word of God and using the truth of God to encourage and exhort one another and challenge one another to do what's right. You know, as we talk to one another about our lives, about our work situations, our home situations, we can say, you know what, I've been where you are. I'll be praying for you. You know, have you ever thought about the Bible says this? I heard a sermon one time really helped me in this area of my life. We admonish one another and exhort one another. You know how? Face to face. The interaction. And so then it gives the opportunity for acknowledgement, assessment of spiritual condition, admonition. Paul said, we desire to come to you and see you face to face that we might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Meaning we're going to be able to be there and hear what you're not understanding or believing yet and be able to fill in some gaps for you. And by admonition, I mean to give you the truth that you need from God to help your faith be strengthened. So acknowledgement, assessment, admonition. And then fourthly, accountability. Of course, that's all encompassed in this. In Matthew 18, 15 through 17, one of the best ways for us to, to stay pure and true as a church is to carry out this responsibility that when a brother has trespassed against us, love him enough to go to him. Love him enough to go to him in person and say, 
you know, this is what happened, and this is where you wronged me. I believe husbands and wives, that's where this has to start. It's not, it's not excluded to the church. How many husbands and wives have destroyed their relationship because they just won't be honest with each other? They just, we would just won't say, you said that, and that was very hurtful. You insinuated that I lied to you. You with me? And communication doesn't happen because it's just too difficult. So instead of telling Mr. Husband, this is what you said, and it made it seem to me that you couldn't care less about what hurt my feelings or what happens to our marriage or our life. That's how it seemed to me. And give the poor fellow an opportunity to explain, I was stupid, I wasn't thinking. How many times has that been the case? I opened my mouth before I thought. But often we never have the opportunity to have that exchange because we pick up the phone and tell a loved one. You wouldn't believe what he This is the third time he said that to me. Instead of just going to him and saying, this is what you said, this is what you did. Parents and children need to address these things face to face. And of course, inside the church setting, which is the context of Matthew 18, for accountability. Galatians 2.11, let's read it. We referenced it earlier. Paul holds Peter accountable to the truth. Paul holds Peter accountable to the truth. May I say this? I attend preachers' fellowships, times where pastors get together. I'll be going to one uh, uh, here in the next couple of days. There is value. I have some preacher friends. We can sit down and discuss issues. And I'm going to tell you something. One of the things that helps me maintain doctrinal purity is sitting down next to another pastor or preacher that has the same responsibility I do, has to make some of the same decisions I do, and have to defend where I'm at, not because he's attacking me, but because we're meeting face-to-face, discussing things from the Bible. There is value in that. It's one thing. I found this by experience. It's far easier for me to assume the worst of that preacher than sit down and find out the truth. It's just, it's easier. Pride wants us to do that. But there is value in that face-to-face meeting uh, for accountability purposes. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. The Bible says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him behind his back. Because, (laughs) of course not. I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Meaning he did something wrong and and he he needed addressed. Verse 12, For before... That certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So he got caught up in the fear of man, fearing being uh, thought that he was somehow a compromise or something. And so the Bible says, verse 13, And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Meaning Peter was being, he was was saying that he believed the doctrine of the word of God, that Jew and Gentile had equal standing before God, but he was treating Gentiles like they didn't. He said, your conduct did not line up with your doctrine. And so Paul said, "I, I withstood him to the face, meaning there was an accountability. You said you believe this, Peter, but this is what you're doing. We've all seen this happen. Perhaps we've been on the side that Peter's been on. We champion some doctrine until we're pressed on it. I believe that the Bible is the perfect word of God until we get in the crowd of people who don't. And it's, well, yeah, you know, I understand those errors and this and that. And ah, if it's the word of God, it is. My point is this. This matter of face-to-face has to do with being accountable, helping us be accountable for living consistent lives One of the things the Lord hates the most is hypocrisy. And one of the greatest antidotes for hypocrisy 
is face-to-face meeting, preaching, teaching, and living out our lives in front of each other as Christians. By the way, should we not be like Peter? And, and, and should not the Pauls in our life know that they can withstand us to the face and we'll respond properly if we've done wrong? Amen. Should we not be a Paul and say, you know what, I'm going to love truth enough to stand up for it and I'm not going to be a coward and do it behind the back if it needs to be dealt with through the face. I tell you what, some of the people I respect the most in the world are not people who don't err, because that's all of us, but people who love the truth enough when dealt with face-to-face about that error, say, you know what, I want to do what's right. I want to be loyal to the truth and will be. And so then, the purpose, acknowledgement of brethren, assessment of spiritual state and condition, admonition of one another with the Word of God, accountability, and last of all, the expression of affection. Repeatedly, that's the theme in these verses. Paul said, we were praying earnestly that we might see your face. John said, we want to see your face that our joy may be full. There is a spiritual blessing in being in personal fellowship with other Christians. In the, in the local church, first and foremost, uh, and, and, and by the assembling of ourselves together, there's just, there's a joy. May I say this? There, there can be men who preach on the Internet, but they cannot assess your spiritual state because they can't see you. They don't know you. And we've dealt with that in messages in time past. And so there's value in hearing those preaching, but it's not the same. You, can, you, can, you and I can communicate by email with other Christians or by you know, long distance, but the local church can never be replaced because that's where we assemble with one another face to face. So the product, okay, so we've seen the purpose, acknowledgement of brethren, assessment, admonition, accountability, and affection. Thirdly, the product. We've seen it over and over. One of the products and primary products is what we would call godly pleasure or joy. The, the, the uh, delight that comes from, spirit, from fellowship with like-minded believers cannot be replaced. The joy that comes from someone who's investing in your life, seeing your face light up when God speaks to you, seeing the joy that comes from being strengthened by God's Word. So godly pleasure, number one, or joy is a byproduct of face-to-face. Number two, provocation to good works. Hebrews 10, 25, 24, just before the, uh, the, the, uh, the admonition not to forsake the assembling says, uh, again, verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, colon, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So it is when we come together that there is a provoking to love and good works. How many of you have ever been provoked to do something good because somebody else is doing it first? I love using this illustration, but when I was, say, 17 years old, 16, 17 years old, I was not in the habit of giving out gospel tracts. And then I had a dear friend, and she was a girl, and I'm married to her today, and she was in the habit of giving out gospel tracts. How many ever heard of, of emulation? Now, there is a good emulation, meaning it's a stirring by the good example of someone else, and it makes you feel like, man, I'm a loser. I'm not doing that. So you get around somebody that is a bold witness, and, and you're either going to do one of two things, make fun of them and discount what they're doing or saying, i got to get on the ball here. So I would be around my not-then wife, my wife now, and she'd always have gospel tracts in her purse. And if she went somewhere, she'd leave a gospel tract, or she'd say, can I give this to you to read? And here's the cowardly boy that wasn't giving gospel tracts to anybody. 